It was a couple years ago, I took my boys to the park, and in the park, there is this circle spinning wheel. And I felt, boy, I really really want to show my boys my skills. So I felt I can make it all the way around that circle. So I got on that wheel. I said, boys, watch this. I got on the wheel, and I started running around that circle. I got about halfway around before I realized my feet were way behind my head. And I found myself doing a major face plant on the ground for all the people at the park to see. Oh, it was a sight to see, I'm sure. But so often in life, we find ourselves on a similar journey where we think, I got this. I can do this. I can deal with this. And we start running through the, 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 uh, the realms of life. And before we know it, we find ourselves doing a face plant in this world because burdens just overwhelm. Life just just crashes down on us and stress overwhelms our hearts. And in that moment, how do you deal with it? You know, you hear it all the time if you watch sports. I I hear Christian athletes all the time gravitate towards the verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, which Paul writes, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I mean, that's a great verse, but let's be honest for just a moment. When Paul was writing this verse, he was not thinking about a sporting event. He was not thinking about make your great effort to to score that touchdown or hit the home run to win the game for the team. That was not his mindset. Understanding this verse in context, Paul was dealing with the reality that life can be overwhelming. And many of us are beat down with life. We are overwhelmed to striving to live for Christ, to strive to walk this Christian journey. And it's a tremendous challenge because life overwhelms. It just beats us down and destroys us. Yet if you read the Gospels, Jesus tells us, don't worry. He says, don't worry. He goes on to tell us in the Gospels that just like he takes care of the bird and all the wildlife that exists, just as he takes care of them, he will take care of you. So don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough worries of itself. And Paul even opens up this section in Philippians chapter 4 to the, letter, uh, to, the, to the church in Philippi by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. And the great theologian slash singer Bobby McFerrin in 1988 said, don't worry, be happy. Yeah, how are we supposed to live that way? How are we supposed to strive to live in such a way? Because Paul in Philippians 4 gives us an interesting statement and a tremendous challenge when he says, always rejoice. Let's be honest for a moment. In life, Do you always feel like rejoicing? I sure don't. I sure don't. I mean, yeah, on the good days when everything's coming together and and all the news I'm receiving is, is awesome and amazing, I'll jump in the car, I'll crank up the radio, and I will celebrate. But on those days when things aren't going my way, on those days when horror strikes the nightly news or another loved one I find out is battling a serious illness or people who claim to be my friend is walking away from me. Yeah, on those days, rejoicing is not too easy. It's not. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Rejoicing 
is difficult. It's easy to read that in Philippians 4, but to live it out is a whole other thing. I mean, walking every day in the, with the ability to rejoice is difficult because worry just overwhelms. Fear consumes us. What tomorrow might bring can destroy us, and the stress of life is just difficult. And maybe you've never dealt with this question, but let's, let's ask ourselves, what makes you rejoice? For you as an individual in your own journey, what makes you rejoice? What makes you happy? Have you ever thought about that? You know, oftentimes when we're asked that question, the obvious answers that many of us cite are things like good health, a stable income, our job status, or whatever else we may come up with. But there's a problem here. If our ability to rejoice is found in the status of our surroundings, whether it's our health, our income, or whatever it might be, then our positive attitude will be short-lived because life is not always easy. It's not always easy. Our surroundings will not always be good. One day, we'll get the bad news about our health. One day, we may not have the job that we, were, we, we recently have, or whatever it might be. Some days, we just get bad news, yet in those circumstances, on those days, Paul still tells us we need to have the ability to rejoice. And we need to understand something. Our joy is not sustained by our surroundings. There not, needs to be something more to that. Our joy is sustained by what we have within. Paul says in verse 13, our strength, our ability to get through this world, to walk the Christian walk, is found in Jesus. Our joy is not represented by the circumstances that surround us. Our joy is represented by what is within. Jesus, my friends, is truly the reason that gives us the ability to rejoice. In spite of the brokenness that surrounds me, the strength of Jesus gives me and should give us the reason to rejoice. Paul tells us in verse 5 of Philippians 4 that this strength comes from a significant promise, and that is the Lord is near. That's where all is founded on the reality that the Lord is near. When I was a young boy, my first job was the paper route delivering papers all throughout my neighborhood. And my neighbor's house across the street, they had a dog that I would just simply say was not very nice. And on this particular day, I was out delivering the paper. I threw the paper in the front door. I closed it and I turned around to see their dog loose, growling at me in the front door. I mean, there was no escape. And I look around and there was nobody in earshot of me. And I'll be honest with you, Worry consumed me at that moment. I thought Billy Boy was done. They're going to see me on the nightly news being eaten by this dog. That's what I thought. Until I looked across the street at my yard, and there was my dog. And my dog started to back me up and start barking and yipping and growling and going crazy and got that dog to back off. You know, I found strength in looking across the way, and I saw my dog. And I was comfortable knowing I can get out of this yard. Whenever you travel around the world, if you ever travel to different countries, you know that if problems arise, if you ever have any issues, what do you look for? You search out the U.S. Embassy. Why? 
Because you know there you have someone that has your back. There you have protection. And biblically speaking, we are called aliens in this world. We're not of this world. We're just living here for a moment because our focus, our future is in eternity in God's kingdom. And God is our embassy in this world. When we look across the yard of difficulty, on the other side of the road is the strength that we find in God because God is near. That's where we find our strength, knowing that no matter the circumstances, he has our back and everything is going to be okay. Yeah, things may be difficult around us, but in God, everything is going to be okay. From cover to cover, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, God reveals that he comes through in difficult times, that he is always there for us, that he is watching over us. For example, in Proverbs 15, verse 3, it's written, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You see, all throughout the Bible we find assurance that the Lord is near. And this fact ought to give us the strength that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. This fact ought to give us the ability to overcome worry, to live with the ability to truly rejoice, to have joy in our hearts, to have the attitude that no matter, no matter what the circumstances that surround me, I have joy. That's where it's built. The nearness of God. And because of God's nearness, we do have the ability to overcome worry. Yet God's nearness should be more than just inner peace. It needs to be more than just, I feel good today. Like, I can get through today with a smile on my face. There needs to be more than that. You see, God's nearness needs to lead us towards a transformed lifestyle. And that transformed lifestyle is what leads us towards the real realization of his peace that gives us the ability to overcome worry. The ability to overcome worry is found in a heart that truly chases the heart of God. It is without a doubt that our attitude affects our actions and vice versa. In Philippians 4, Paul provides a blueprint in striving to live a life free of worry that all hinges on the realization that the Lord is near. So the rest of the time that we have left, we're going to kind of digest uh, Philippians 4 a little bit and talk through it and identifying some steps that Paul gives us in connecting with the heart of God to overcome worry and find joy that he seeks. The first one is, because God is near, display gentleness. Display gentleness. In verse 5, Paul writes these words. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. You see, gentleness is the value and quality of your character. 
Your character is revealed through your gentleness. This is everything about who you are and the foundation of who you are. And Paul says, since the Lord is near, that gentleness must, it is an absolute must, be evident in your character. But oftentimes, we misunderstand what gentleness truly is, biblically speaking. You know, many view it simply as easygoing, being completely laid back to the point to where love simply means just get along. Don't mess with the choices that other people make. You're going to be labeled intolerant. Just be tolerant with them. Just don't rock the boat. But this is not the gentleness in the Bible. This is not the gentleness that Jesus portrayed through his actions in the Gospels. You see, gentleness is a strong hand with a soft touch. It is a compassionate approach toward others' weaknesses and their shortcomings to guide them towards truth and grace and peace. Even Aristotle described it as the virtue that strikes the means when he was talking about anger. Aristotle explained that being too quick to anger is a vice, but, is, but so is being detached in a situation where anger is the appropriate response. Just read through the Gospels, and you see Jesus and how he dealt with the religious leaders or those caught in sin, or even his 12 disciples when they made poor choices or made knucklehead remarks. Jesus revealed what compassion was all about, what gentleness was all about. So where do you stand in the spectrum of gentleness? We all have some sort of lean in the area and the character of gentleness. Are you quick to anger? Do you lash out in anger, creating a scene or making comments that you're going to later regret? That's one way we tend to lean. Or maybe you lean towards the opposite extreme. Have you become so detached in situations? You just kind of build a wall, put everything away, you know, let people kind of make their own choices, do whatever they want. You just stay out of it. You fell, you fell prey to the cultural opinion to stay quiet, to don't rock the boat, that if you say anything that you're just going to be labeled as intolerant, so just be quiet. You've just detached yourself. Which way do you lean? Because either extreme is spiritually unhealthy. It is. And you need to find, we all need to find the ability to find the balance between the two. That's the heart of God in the area of gentleness. That's the character. When Paul says gentleness needs to be evident, that's what he's talking about. The balance between when you stand up, when anger becomes evident, and when you show compassion, when you reveal compassion. You know, secondly, as we move along, because God is near, we have peace in times of difficulty. We have peace in times of difficulty. Look what Paul continues to write in verses 6 through 7. He writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, 
The stresses of life, if you're anything like me, the stresses of life sometimes just completely overwhelmed us to the point to where we are so consumed with anxiety. Anxiety is a very real issue in our world today. It's something that so many of us struggle with, that life just overwhelms, stress, what tomorrow might bring, what the outcome of, the, of these tests might be, whatever it might be, we just get overwhelmed with anxiety and worry. We just get beat down, and difficulty overwhelms us. Last summer, I went on a vacation with my family, and we were flying from Denver to Houston. And on this flight, we were hitting some, some pretty heavy turbulence, you know, more than, than your average turbulence that you tend to face sometimes. And I was sitting with my twins. They're, they're nine years old, and they're sitting next to me. They're playing their games and doing their things, and they're happy-go-lucky. They, they don't care. They're not worried about anything until we hit this one pocket of turbulence. I mean, it was hard. It made me gasp for air a little bit. And I look over, my son, John Mark, you saw his face go white as a ghost. And he looks at me, and he looked at me right in my eyes, and I could tell he was trying to figure out, Dad, are you worried? Because if you're worried, I'm freaking out. <laughs> and I looked, at his, 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 I looked him in the eyes, and, and even though I was a little bit, ooh, that was a, that was a big one, I just gave him the, hey, everything's good, buddy. And I saw immediately his fear changed and he went right back to his game. He never thought anything else of it. Why? Because he looked in his dad's eyes and there he found strength. And that's what the Bible, that's what Paul's telling us in verses six through seven. You see, there may be difficult circumstances. You'll always be faced with something hard. But when we go to the heart of God, when we look God in the eye, there we find strength. And Paul says, go to his heart with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Go to God because there is your strength. Yeah, you're gonna, there, it's not going to maybe change the circumstances around you. Yes, it's going to be difficult, but you have strength in God. That's what Paul is saying. That's where the strength comes from. That's what gives us the ability to get through the storms that we face. And from cover to cover, again, the Bible reveals that God comes through in difficult times. He is always there. For example, in Genesis 6, God tells Noah uh, that he will be with him before Noah and his family endured the flood. In Joshua 1, God tells Joshua that he will be with him before he led the Israelites into battle on their way to the promised land. In Exodus 3, God tells Moses that he will be with him when he went to, to Pharaoh to demand the release of the Hebrew people. In Judges 6, God tells Gideon that he will be with him before Gideon defeated the Midianites that were too many to count with only 300 men. In 1 Samuel 17, the Lord was with David when he defeated the giant. In Daniel chapter 3, God saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from being killed in the fiery furnace. In Daniel 6, the Lord delivered Daniel from being killed in the lion's den. And in Matthew 28, Jesus tells his followers and all of us today that he'll be with all of us until he's, his return. He is always there in the most difficult of times. God always comes through. He always comes through. But the struggle of our human nature is not so much with God not coming through. It's the problem within our own heart. See, the problem is not what's going on around you. It's what's happening within you. Because all too often, we view the circumstances that surround us through the lens of our heart. 
whether we're dealing with pain or joy, sadness or, or, or excitement, whatever it might be, we all tend to view the circumstances that surround us through the lens of our heart. And oftentimes, because we're viewing it through the pain of our heart, the circumstances that may not be as bad as we think they are heighten because of how we're viewing it. See, it's not about what's going on around you. It's what's going on within you. And God desires for you to know that he freed you. God did the work. He gave you the ability to have victory and to have strength despite the circumstances you, you have. He freed us. But yet we still struggle. Don't forget the reality that in the Old Testament, it took 40 days for the Hebrew people to get out of Egypt. But it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the Hebrew people. You know, that's the struggle in all of our hearts. God freed us, but we still are dealing with the junk remaining inside. And that's how we view the circumstances we face. You want the ability to overcome? Follow the, the guideline that Paul gives in verses 6 through 7. You run towards the heart of God. You go to him. Let God come into your life. Pray. Read the Bible. Get invested into his heart. Connect your heart to his heart and let him push that stuff out. Otherwise, you'll never be able to overcome it. And you'll continue to look through the world through the lens of the pain in your heart and it will just be coming more worry, more pain, more strife. That's what Paul talks about. Let's move on. Number three, because God is near, we must alter our thinking. We must alter our thinking. The battle of our heart or our attitudes begins in our mind. Please don't miss the reality of this. Satan's tactic is your mind. Because he knows all too well that if he can change your thinking your thought process, he will eventually change your heart and he will change your actions. That's where it all starts, where our minds are. You know, where our thoughts lead, so does our attitude and our actions. And many people today live in a false sense of reality because they have allowed negative ideas to consume their minds. And they've lost sense of what is true. Dr. David Jeremiah once uh, wrote an excellent book called, What Are You Afraid Of? And in this book, he wrote this line, If God is good and loving, and he is, and if God has a purpose and a plan that includes his children, and he does, and if we are his children, as I hope you are, then there is no reason to fear anything, for God is in control of everything. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is in control of everything? Do you? If so, then why do you allow negative thoughts of fears and worry to consume you? Why is that? I struggle with it too. Why do we do that? We need to allow our thoughts to go towards God. Look what Paul writes in verse 8 as far as our mind. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. 
In this one verse, Paul gives a very significant checklist of, as far as where our thoughts should go, where our minds should go, and how our thoughts uh, direct our actions and our attitude. These are the things that ought to control our thinking. So let's just take a moment right now to, to review this checklist that Paul gives. You know, he says, whatever is true. You know, in other words, do we focus on what is true? Or are we swayed by gossip and slander, slander or all the juicy details that someone may say to us about someone else or something else? Secondly, noble. Is making the right moral choice our aim? Or do we attempt to adjust the truth to match our desires? Right. Do we seek the truth? Do we seek to make the next right choice when we make mistakes, when we fall short, whenever we do? Do we try to do things right, pure? Do we strive to live a life that is not contaminated by the world? Or do we push the limits? Do we see how far can I go before I really sin? Or am I running towards the heart of God? Lovely. Do, do we seek to find our worth and moral code in Jesus? Or am I focused more on myself and what I want? Admirable. Do I strive to live respectfully before God and before all those I come into contact with? Excellent. Do I strive to give my all, my very best to Jesus? He gave me everything. Am I living my life to give him my very best in all that I do? And finally, praiseworthy. Do you focus on the things of God or the things of this world? You know, just pause for a moment and reflect on that list. I really hope that today or sometime this week that you would just take a moment and in your own personal time, review this list. Ask yourself some real questions. Where are my thoughts? Where is my attitude? Is my heart going towards the heart of God or am I coming, becoming more focused on myself? Because a lot of times we are overwhelmed with worry and strife and pain in our life simply because we're allowing our minds to drift from God rather than towards God. And then our heart follows and then our action follows. See, God wants all of you. And he wants you to find the peace that he provides. And it starts with connecting our mind to his. Paul goes on to say from, in verse 9, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul says to put what the Bible teaches into practice. You know, we see this said all throughout the Bible. In other words, if you come to all the weekend services, you go to growth group faithfully, but your life never changes to become more like Jesus. You never put into practice what you hear taught or, or what you read the Bible saying. You just continue to go into your own life or you leave church, you go out to lunch and you forget everything you, forget, you, you heard here. There's no point to it. There is zero point to it. God does not care if you're gaining more knowledge if your life is not being transformed. God is more concerned about what you do with what you know than what you know. Does that make sense? That's the heart of God. If you know everything the Bible says, but you're not living it out, you're missing it. You're missing it. In James 1 22, this isn't your notes. This is my favorite verse in the Bible. James writes, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Don't just forget about what God says. 
don't just hear and say, wow, that was a great message. Go live it. Go live it. Let God transform your life. And beyond that, Paul reveals in Philippians 4 that he was a great example for the people in Philippi. You know, he tried to live the standard that God calls us to so that he could be the example for the church to follow. My question is twofold. Number one, who's being the example in your life? Who you surround yourself with matters. It matters. And all too often we find ourselves surrounding ourselves with with people who don't love Jesus, who are pulling our decisions away from Christ, rather than people who are there to support us, to help us, to pull us towards Christ. Who in your life do you surround yourself with that truly strives to exhibit Philippians 4.8? Who we surround ourselves with matters. And on the flip side, are you striving to be an example for somebody else? Are you being an example for somebody else? Are you striving to live out 4-8 in a way that you become an example for somebody else? That when they see you, you don't have to say any words. They see you and they say, there's a person that's striving to follow Christ. I want to figure out what they have. We're not perfect, and that's what I'm talking about. But we need to make the efforts to become more like Christ and, and exhibit what Paul talks about in this chapter. Number four, because God is near, we must see beyond ourselves. This is a hard one. This is hard because I believe that this is the, one of the biggest struggles for American Christians. We in our culture have become so self-consumed with our wants and our desires and we transform them into what we believe are rights and we become so focused on what's in it for me. And, and we walk around and, and we just come to live in such a way that we think we're owed something at every turn. That, that someone owes something to us. And then to pile onto the struggle, America has become the buffet of churches. American churches have found some of the craziest things to argue about and divide over. And because there's so many Amer- Christians, uh, American uh, churches around and, and Christians really struggle, they, they kind of plateau in their faith. And what tends to happen is, well, if I don't like it here, I'm just going to move on to find something that better meets what I want. You know, because we have not learned how to properly deal with conflict, when conflict does arise, and it will because it always happens in relationships, rather than dealing with it in a healthy and biblical way, we move on to find more other relationships to get involved with or another church to plug into. Or because we have intertwined our cultural lean of focusing on what's in it for me, we move on to a different church when we feel that this one will give me more what I want. Let me be honest with you. There's no perfect church out there. Zero. None. And the, and, and, uh, the more we hop, the less we, we come to the realization of a fundamental truth in our spiritual development, and that is spiritual growth occurs in relationships. And ultimately, that's what the church is. The church is not this building. The church is not these walls. The church is every one of us in this room throughout the weekend. That is the church. And the church is built in relationships. It's people and community striving to become more like Jesus. And in these real relationships, that's where strength is formed. That's where accountability 
is developed. So be careful that you don't fall, the, fall into the trap of when you start going down the path of making choices that are opposite of God and accountability pops up that you begin to push relationships away. Because then that's the beginning of the plateaued faith. Look what Paul writes to the church in Philippi in verse 10. He says, I, great, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. And then in verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. You see, the church is simply a community of believers where people do life together, where we share in our troubles, we, where we are there for each other, to meet each other's needs, to keep each other accountable, to help each other, to make the next right choice, to be there for each other. That's what Paul found strength in this church, in, in Philippi. And that's what we strive to find strength here at this church as well. Lastly, because God is near, we can be content. How satisfied in life are you? How satisfied in life are you? So many of us struggle in life because if we're honest with ourselves, we're not satisfied. Maybe we don't have the car that the neighbor has or the house that that person down the street has or, or we didn't get the promotion that other person did or whatever it might be. And we struggle with being satisfied in life. And dissatisfaction tends to creep in when our focus turns worldly rather than godly. Look what Paul writes in verse 12 of Philippians 4. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned that that the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You know, Paul says, I get it. I know what it means to be content. I lived a life where I had everything I could imagine. I had all that I needed. I had three, three meals a day. I had the clothes. I had a bed. I had a great house. I had it all, and I was content. And now that I've given my life to Jesus and I'm following this path, I've lost everything. I've been in prison. But even in those situations when I have absolutely nothing, I am content. And maybe we need to ask ourselves this very important question. If you lost everything today, if you went home and you found your house burnt to the ground, all your possessions gone, you went into your bank and you found out that everything was wiped out, you have zero money, nothing left, would you still be content? Would you? That was Job's story in the Old Testament. Read it sometime. He was the wealthiest person the world had ever seen at that time. He was Bill Gates before there ever was Bill Gates. And in one split second, he lost everything. Everything. And this, the book of Job in the Old Testament is his story of going through the pain of the loss and coming to the realization that God is his everything. And no matter what, he is content. What about you? You see, worry often takes place when our focus is on the circumstances that are around us rather than what is within. And, and so often we find our ability to be content by how good life is right now or, or what we have obtained for ourselves, the wealth that we have. And if that's you, you're going to find yourself disappointed because... 
not always going to be there. It's not. And if our con- be ability to be content is in the things of this world, you're going to be really sad one day. You are. And when we go back and review Philippians 4 and what Paul wrote, he reveals that overcoming worry occurs when our heart connects to the heart of God. That's what it's all about. That's when we find the ability to be content. That's when we find the ability to overcome worry. That's when we find joy, when our heart truly connects to the heart of God. If you go back, verse 7 and 9, there's two promises that Paul gives there, two great things that Paul reveals in those two chapters that we cannot overlook. Twice, Paul says that the peace of God will be with you. Whenever the Bible repeats something, you better take notice because it's pretty important. And in verse 7 and in verse 9, Paul says the peace of God will be with you. When? When we make the action steps. See, Paul reveals God did his part. God is there. When you take the action steps to connect to his heart, Paul says God's peace will be with you. Is that a great promise? But we need to take the step towards God. And we need to realize God's peace is, is not what we usually understand. God's peace is not just everything, everybody's getting along. There, there's, there's no arguing in this world. There's no wars. There's nothing like that. That's not the peace that God is talking about. He's not talking about coexisting or, or just getting along with everybody we come into contact with. Jot this down in your notes. God's peace is grace built on the foundation of truth. That's the peace that the Bible reveals. See, God's peace is grace built on the foundation of truth. To understand and fully comprehend the grace of God, there needs to be an understanding of his truth. Without that understanding, we can never fully grasp the reality of grace. And his grace directs us towards his peace. That's what it means to run towards the heart of God to know him more fully, to know how to live for him and what it means to walk with him. And in there you find peace. Because in his grace is peace. And in his peace is the ability to live in his strength and to overcome worry. But it starts with understanding his truth that leads you to his grace and that directs you to his peace. Let's pray together. Father, we just come to you right now and we thank you because you are the the giver of hope, the the provider of peace. And Lord God, forgive us for for when we become so overwhelmed with worry, for when we try to do things on our own. Lord God, we want to run towards you. We want to connect our heart towards yours. Lord, so that when we find you, when we understand your heart, there we find grace and peace and hope. That no matter what happens around us, no matter the circumstances we face, we may have joy. Lord, we thank you for the promise that you are near. You are by our side every step of the way. And Lord God, may we walk in strength because of the promise you give. We love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.